turn to the book of Luke, chapter number 8, holding your place there, and go back with me to the book of James for just a few moments, if you would. And I want to encourage you to be back tonight, and Brother Matt Wilkerson will be uh, sharing a little bit of his heart. And I know that this is something we do every single time we have a missionary in. We'll take some time uh, this evening just to uh, ask some questions, uh, pick his brain, uh, figure out what the mission field looks like and how we can best be a blessing to him. So I want to encourage you back tonight. I know he's looking forward to it as well. James chapter number 1, if you would, and you're holding your place in James, I mean in Luke chapter number 8, finding your way to the book of James. Chapter number 1, we come to a familiar portion of Scripture. And the truth is this, that for every being, if you were to say that, for every person, for every soul, uh, faith is present. You say, well, what, what exactly do you mean? Faith isn't present. No, faith is always present in every single one of us. It's just a matter of where is that faith placed? You see, for the Christian, our faith is placed in Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross, the finished work there. For one who might be unsaved, their faith, you meet atheists, you meet agnostics, you meet people all throughout your life, and you'll come in contact with different people, and you'll find that they might say that they don't have faith in Jesus Christ, but they are placing their faith in something. Uh, whether it is, uh, you know, that they're, they're just placing it in, in, in happenstance, that, that tomorrow they'll make it. They just say, I believe I'm going to make it if I don't. Yeah. Faith is just oftentimes misplaced. And the saddest reality, when you come to James chapter number 1, and you also will go to Luke chapter number 8 here in just a few moments, is that you'll find that many times in our own lives, whenever we come to the Word of God, and when we come to this portion of Scripture, and also Luke chapter number 8, is that we realize that as a child of God and as Christians, many times we find ourselves as yesterday, as I shared. Yesterday, if you were to to have social media, if you were to get on the news, you would see continuously the statement, never forget. And in the America that we live in today, and I believe this is just something that we have found ourselves going through, the motions, if you would. Every single year we process 9-11 and we go on on September the 12th and we live as though 9-11 never happened. And once again we come through and we live another year and then September 11th shows back up and everyone again says, never forget, never forget, never forget. Now that's not the case for everyone, I believe. But I do believe in America that we're living in many cases you're seeing people who just go along with saying the phrase because they feel the need to. But can I share with you, there's an application to that. Because in the Christian life, I believe many times we also utter the same statement, never forget, never forget, never forget. We say, never forget what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Never forget what He has for you. Never forget all the plans that He has and the prayers that He's answered and the the things that He would have for you to do and the blessings on your life. Never forget those things. Yet our words that are coming out of our mouth say never forget, but our lifestyle says we've already forgotten. You see, many times we live as though we are uttering those words just because we know what to say and how to say it. Uh, we grew up in church or we started attending church and you began to get discipled and you sat, had someone show you along the way or maybe you grew up around Christians. You just knew what to say and so we would say, never forget, never forget. But can I share with you what the Bible says in James chapter 1? Because this right here illustrates exactly what we find ourselves living sometimes in a forgotten mindset. The Bible says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man, or for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso 
looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Go back with me if you would. Verse number 22, it says again, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Can I share with you what it is saying? As we again address this, it's saying don't just utter the words, never forget. Live out the words that you haven't forgotten. Many times we find ourselves listening to the preaching of God's Word. We find ourselves walking into the house of God. We find ourselves opening the Word of God sometimes and and reading only to read and not really and truly let it affect our hearts. How many times has God been trying to get your attention and because you weren't truly given to what God would have, God was speaking and it's as though He walked right past and you never once noticed. It's as though as the preacher was dealing with something, as he was preaching the Word of God, it was something that you knew you needed, but you weren't willing to accept it. You weren't willing to acknowledge that God was dealing with you specifically. You see, in this portion of Scripture, but be ye doers, this statement right here, be ye, it speaks of something that is a continuous thing. It's dealing with something that is past, in the middle, and future. It's saying this right here, continually, always be ye doers. It's not something that only on Sunday mornings when you walk into the house of God that, hey, you're a hearer and then you're a doer then. No, no, no. What it's saying is every single day of your life, continually be ye a doer and a hearer. You see, as you go on, it says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. This statement right here, doer, if you were to study this, you'll find that it is speaking and dealing with this this whole individual, the personality, the being, and all. It it deals with the entire mind, body, spirit, soul, and emotions, if you would. Striving to be a doer of the Word. Not always just a hearer of the Word, but a doer. You see, in Luke chapter number 8, when we get over there, Jesus begins to address a people. And as He deals with the parable here, He addresses the people and He begins to deal with four different types of soil that the the seed is falling on, if you would. And as He addresses that, we will find ourselves this morning in one of those four different types of soil. And as you come to James chapter 1, He says, But be ye doer of the word, and not hearers only. This word, hearers, it gives the picture of one, if you were to illustrate it this way and understand it, it gives the picture of one who has walked into a classroom, they've walked into a classroom, but they don't have to participate, if you would. Can I illustrate it for just a moment? I walk into a classroom, and maybe I'm a, a, a senior in college, and I walk into a classroom of maybe freshmen in high school, and I just sit there, and I'm observing, I'm watching, I'm listening, but I don't have to take the test at the end of the class. I don't have to respond when questions are asked. All I'm doing is listening there. I'm sitting there. I'm present. But that's it. It speaks of one who audits the word, if you would. Can I share with you that we have found ourselves living in a generation where many Christians are just sitting there auditing the word. Oh, we'll walk into the house of God. We'll even sit in our seat. We'll listen to the word. But hey, we will do nothing with it. You say, well, how could you say such a thing? Look at the mess our nation's in. You say, oh, that's the politicians. No, that's the Christians not living the Christian life. You say, oh, that's the president's fault. No, 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 no. See, things started happening long before this presidency. Things started happening long before the last presidency. You see, the Word is something that was no longer given away to. The Word is something that we looked at and said, oh, yeah, that's the Bible. I have four or five of them in my house. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with the Word of God? The Bible says, but be ye doers of the Word and not hearers. Only one who just sits there and does nothing with it. You say, well, what's the harm? You know, as long as I'm faithful. No, no, no. Notice what the Bible says right after these words. It uses the word deceiving 
your own selves. Can I share with you what this word deceiving speaks of? The word deceiving speaks of one that miscounts, one that incorrectly reasons, one that cheats by false reckoning, one that miscalculates, if you would. Very simply, can I share it to you this way and say it this way? You're cheating yourself out of all that God has for you. And you say, well, what's the big deal? You're missing it. You know, I was listening to Brother Ravenhill last night. I was at the gym for just a few moments, and I was exercising and running over in my own head as I was about to preach, running over through the Scripture and and kind of dealing with some of those things and trying to really process it for myself because I never want to get in the pulpit and preach something that first hasn't dealt with me first. And as I was listening to Brother Ravenhill, as I was about to leave the the house, as I was, I mean, at the, the gym, I was listening to a couple of the statements that he was saying, and as he was preaching... He preached a message one time, and as he was preaching this message one time, he began to just share his heart, and he began to talk about the the dead church and the cold church and how churches are dying and how he he had a a pastor that had come up to him and said, if if we were to, to go into the church tomorrow and conduct as though the Holy Spirit wasn't there, he said, our church wouldn't even realize it. As he gone, continued to go on, he began to talk about his own personal life and how he, he didn't want the fire to, to stop. He wanted to burn. He wanted to be all consumed with Christ. If you were to go and you were to try to listen to that service, if you're trying to listen to that message, the message stops right there because the altars started being flooded. People began to, 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 to weep on the altar and beg of God to have mercy on them and beg of God to stir them once again. Can I share with you, as he began to preach that message, all he preached was the word. You know, my mind continuously goes back to the book of Nehemiah because of the illustration and the picture there. But the people understood the physical work had been completed. And Ezra the scribe was coming on the scene. They said, that's great, but just bring the word. All throughout history, if you were to go and you were to study the history of revivals taking place, it started with prayer in the word. You think about those, you think about one who is monotone and being Jonathan Edwards as he got up and just spoke the Word of God. He read the Word of God and in his monotone voice, people began to flood the altars because they understood that this is all they need. But many times in our lives, we come to the house of God or we sit in our homes and we open the Word of God only to be one that is a hearer but not a doer. We only deceive ourselves. Go with me to Luke chapter number 8 if you would. Luke chapter number 8. As you come to the preaching of God's word that is found here by Jesus himself. Jesus dealing with those, and it starts out in chapter number 8 with an encouraging statement at the very end of verse 1 where it says this, And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. Could I encourage you this morning just to sit down at Jesus' feet and let him teach you for just a little while? Let him just deal with your own personal heart and what he has for you. And as you come to Luke chapter number 8, in Luke chapter number 8, as it says right here in verse number 1, once again, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, the twelve men were with him. In Luke chapter number 8, we jump forward for just a few moments into verse number 4, and the Bible says, And when much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spake a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up and withered away, because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on the good ground and sprang up and bare fruit an hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, 
let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables that seeing they might not see. In hearing they might not understand. And now the parable is this, and this is our text this morning, the key statement, if you would, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which when they hear receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. And that which befell among uh, the thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart having heard the word keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. No man when he hath lighted a candle covereth it with a vessel or put it under a bed setteth it on a candlestick, that they which enter in may see the light. For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. Take heed therefore how ye hear, for whosoever hath to him shall be given. And whosoever hath not for him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. And came to him his mother and his brethren and could not come at him for the press. And it was told by a certain, which said, Thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to see thee. And he answered and said unto them, My mother and my brethren are these which hear the word of God, notice this last statement, and do it. This morning I want to preach a message entitled, strictly from verse number 11, The seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. You see, truth of the matter is, as you find yourself sitting in the house of God, as you find yourself opening the Word of God, the seed is the seed. The seed is not changing. The seed is good. The seed is a great thing. And as it is planted, we find four different soils that it is falling upon in this passage of Scripture. Can I encourage you this morning to be as honest with yourself as you've ever been and ask God to reveal to you, Lord, what kind of soil is the seed falling on? Lord, is it falling on thorny soil? Lord, if so, Lord, I pray that you'd reveal that. If it's falling on hard ground, is it falling on good ground? Is it falling on rocky ground? Lord, please reveal the soil this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll find ourselves once again in this portion of Scripture in dealing with this. The seed is the Word of God. Lord, we do thank you. Lord, we love you this morning. No doubt in my mind, Lord, as we find ourselves in the house of God, Lord, we're surrounded by those who not only love you, but want to do what you have for them. I believe it, but Lord, the temptation still falls. Lord, it's ever before us, Lord, just to stop. Lord, it's ever before us just to give up, to quit, to take a break, to stand still and not really do anything else. Lord, the temptation sometimes is, Lord, just to find ourselves letting someone else do it. But Lord, you've commanded every single one of us, Lord, to live for you, to serve you all the days of our lives. Lord, I understand that some aren't called to full-time ministry, but, Lord, every single one of us is called to serve you full-time. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Lord, we're all living in different circumstances, no doubt. Lord, some facing difficult days ahead, some living right in the midst of a trial. Lord, some on the mountaintop. Lord, the joy is that you're in every single one of those spots. 
And Lord, you're dealing with each and every single one of us personally. And Lord, this morning as we find ourselves in Luke chapter number 8, I pray that the, the seed wouldn't fall on deaf ears. Lord, I pray that the soil has been prepared. And Lord, as we find in Scripture that the, fa- the fallow ground has been broken up. And Lord, as we find ourselves in your word this morning, I pray that you would do the work you desire to do. Lord, may the Holy Spirit have will and way. Lord, may you guide us and direct us. Lord, that you would remove all the distractions, remove all of the concerns, all of the, the, the uh, discouragements. And Lord, may we find ourselves looking unto you. Guide us now. Direct us. I pray that you be of myself, Lord, as I preach. Lord, that you would once again, Lord, forgive me of any sin. Lord, that you would help me just to get out of the way. And Lord, that you fill me with your spirit. Lord, I pray that I would preach your word and nothing but. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter number 8, once again, as you come, we're going to jump right into it. Notice with me three things that we must do concerning this idea of the soil and the seed falling on the soil. Number one, we must receive the word. We must receive the word. You find in chapter number 8, verse number 5, that the Bible says right here, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. Some fell upon a rock. As soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture, and some fell among thorns. And the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground, sprang up and bare fruit and hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Number one, we must receive the word. In the first couple of verses that we just read right there, you begin to see the soils that are being mentioned here, four different soils. Let's start with the first one. We find in verse number five, the Bible says, There was one that was trodden down. This word trodden down speaks of the squander, speaks of the waste. This is the hard ground, if you were. If we were dealing with this, this is dealing with a path running through a field and the ground was such that the seed could not take root. It couldn't even survive because there was no way of taking root to survive. It was so hard and it was, it was something that was no way could bear the fruit that needed to be done. You see, this word devour speaks of to consume by eating, to squander or to waste. It is, it is a hard ground. It is a, a, a firm ground. It is something that cannot bear fruit. And I wonder this morning is if you've walked into the house of God this morning, you say, that's the soil that is in my heart right this very moment. As the word of God is being preached, my heart is so hardened to the things of God. I walk in and I understand that God wants to do something, but I'm so far from being willing to let him do something. My heart is hardened. The soil cannot be what it needs to be because I'm not allowed it to be what God would have for it. It's trodden down and squandered. You see, we live in an era, we live in a world today, throughout history you see this, but also we come to realize in a, in a mighty, mighty way that men do not reject the Bible. That's not what it is. People will say, oh, we reject the Bible because it contradicts itself. That's not true. Men don't reject the Bible because it contradicts itself. Men reject the Bible because it contradicts them. You see, if, if, if the Word of God, if the Word of God, if God's will for our lives interferes with what I want to do, then I'm not going to do it. I've had conversations with people who, who just will not get in church, will not read the Bible, all these many things, and I've heard people say, well, the Bible contradicts itself. Just a few years ago, we had a family that was visiting our church, and we were trying to disciple them, and we spent many, many days with them. And I remember having a conversation with him, and he began to get further and further away from things. 
And which, by the way, you know why that often happens is not because you're reading the Bible, it's because you're reading everyone else's opinions. You find yourself filling your mind with other books, and you'll find yourself saying, oh, the Word of God does contradict itself. He walked into my office, and he made that statement, well, the Word of God contradicts itself. I said, oh, man, I feel so, so, so sorry for you. I said, please show me in Scripture where it contradicts itself. And he began to open the Word of God and try to pinpoint areas where it contradicts itself. And very simply, I just told him this. I said, I don't know that it contradicts itself. I believe that, number one, you're misinterpreting what the Word of God says right there. But I said, point blank, I said, is it that you just don't like it? He wasn't going to answer that. But in many cases in our lives, when we find ourselves reading the Word of God, you ever walked out of a service and you were mad at the preacher for preaching God's Word? You weren't mad at the preacher. You were mad at yourself because God convicted you. I remember sitting under the preaching of my father-in-law, and I, I would get so annoyed because he kept preaching on salvation. Truth of the matter was, he wasn't preaching on salvation. He interwined salvation in all of his messages, and I felt as though that's all he was preaching on. You know why? Because that's what God was dealing with me on. It wasn't until I went to, to teen camp and realized that, hey, all of that preaching that had been going on was God preparing my heart to finally give it up and say, hey, I need to get this settled. You see, you're not mad at the preacher. You're mad because you're convicted at God's word and what it has to say. Hosea chapter number 10, verse number 12 says, So to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Can I ask you this morning, is your soil hard ground? Number two. Concerning the soils, you see, not only was it a hard ground, but the Bible says in verse number 6, And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Not only do we see hard ground, but we also see some rocky ground. Notice with me these couple of statements that are found here. It says it fell upon a rock. And as soon as it was sprung up, that word sprung up speaks of to be born, to grow, to spring up, if you would. It withered, that word withered speaks of wasting away, to become dry, if you would. And what is taking place right here is that in the soil, everything looked fine. It looked good. It looked like it was going to produce. It looked like everything was going to be good, only for it to come up and then wither away. And as you go and you study and you find yourself understanding this, here in a few moments, the question is going to be asked by them. They're going to say, well, what does this mean? And Jesus is going to go right into it. But you see, in this portion right here, we find that there is some rocky ground. It's growing. It looks as though everything's going to be, be okay, but only in time will it reveal that it never really truly had the nourishment that it needed to produce, to survive. And if you're not careful sometimes when you walk into the house of God or when you open the Word of God in your home, when you find yourself listening to the Word of God either taught or preached, the ground might not be hard. You say it's not hard ground. I, I, I want to, but you've not given it the proper nourishment, so it's not necessarily hard ground. It's just rocky ground. You're not giving it exactly what it needs. This morning I was dealing with the teenagers, and well, we were talking about the statement in Galatians chapter number 2, verse number 20, I am crucified with Christ. In Galatians 2.20, as he deals with that, I was encouraging the young people that, that that death that you find in that portion of Scripture has to be a personal death. You see, and, and not only is it a personal death, but it doesn't have to be such a painful death, if you would. And the only reason that it would be a painful death is if we're not willing to give it up. And not willing to give that sin up. Not willing to, to just let God have His way. And we've all been there before. We've all been wrestling with God and we've all told God no at certain times only for ourselves to find ourselves miserable because we didn't just say yes. 
I've talked to individuals who are now preaching God's Word who said that they had told God no for so long, and as they would sit into the, the, the preaching of God's Word, they find themselves just miserable because they wanted to be preaching God's Word. They never let God have His way. This morning, is your ground not maybe hard ground, but is it rocky ground? Notice with me the third soil that he deals with. He says in verse number 7, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. This thorny ground speaks of it takes so much nourishment that nothing can grow around them. You see, thorns, if you were to go and to study the thorns out, thorns require a lot of nourishment. And as you find this thorny ground right here, you find yourself looking at that word fell, and when it speaks of this right here, it says, and some fell, that word fell speaks of descending from a higher place to a lower place, and it, it had an opportunity, but it was too thorny, and it choked it. Here in just a few moments, as Jesus addresses this, it's one that I believe every one of us will find ourselves occasionally because we might not have the hard ground. We might not even have the rocky ground, but that thorny ground speaks of many times looking at our, all of our circumstances, of looking at the world's conditions, at looking at what the world is doing, at looking at the, the way that everything is turning and looking at our life, and we allow the thorns to crush our faith. How many times have we found ourselves going through seasons where that ground was thorny? Jeremiah 4.3 says, For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem again, Break up your fallow ground and sow, sow not among thorns. The final one that he deals with here, and we will come back to these here in just a few moments concerning the soils. In verse number 8 he says, And other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. The final thing we see is the good ground. This is the soil that is good. It's it's the seed is good everything's lining up not only is everything lining up but it's beginning to shape and it's beginning to take form and all of a sudden you begin to see that it looks as though it should it's healthy it's productive it's bearing fruit if you would psalm 1 verses 2 and 3 says but his delight is in the law of the lord and in his law doth he meditate day and night notice this next statement and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. This is good ground. And so in verse number 8, you come, and in verse number 8, he says at the end, He that hath ears, let him hear. So in the beginning of this, this, this portion of Scripture, you begin to see that the soils are being made mention of. And then verse number 8, he closes and he says, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. If you were to go to, I can't remember the exact psalm right this very moment, but it does it again in the book of Nehemiah, and I believe in also Habakkuk, but that they turned their ears in such a way that they were wanting to listen. And so what he is saying here is, let him that hath ears be ready to hear. And as he says these words right here, notice in verse number 9 what the Bible says. And his disciples asked him, saying, what might this parable be? What does this mean? What are you trying to say? What, are, what exactly are you trying to get across? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this. So we see in the first portion of this right here that he is asking us to receive the word of God, and we see the soils that he's dealing with. But now we see that the Savior begins to deal with what exactly those soils mean. He said the seed is the word of God. The first one that he deals with here is he wants us to hear it and also understand it. 
is that he says, Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. So the, the seed is the word of God, as we see in verse number 11, but also the seed by the wayside is plucked up by Satan. But what he is saying right here is that the Satan, is, his goal is always to eliminate belief, but also distract from belief. He, he desires that we would, if we are saved, and he's already lost us to eternity, that he would get our eyes off of the Lord Jesus Christ. As he is saying right here, this wayside, as he is saying right here in verse number 12, those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Verse number 13, he says, They on rock are they, which when they hear, receive the word with joy, and because, and these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. He deals with those, the seed that falls on the rock of those who have no root. The soil represents a shallow heart, if you would. One who emotionally hears, but doesn't hear the word of God and receive it, and it never takes root. One preacher put it this way as he was dealing with this. He says, a shallow faith cannot survive the pressure of persecution. It cannot survive the pressure of persecution. In Psalm 106, verses 12, 11, uh, 13, and 14, says, Then believeth they his words, they sang his praise, and they soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel, but it lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. You go to Psalm 78 where they ask, can God? Well, why do they ask, can God? They ask, can God? Because they had forgot his wonderful and marvelous works. You see right here, as it's dealing with this right here, the seed that falls on rock are those who have no root. It's not even only dealing with those who have no root concerning their faith. It's as though they might not have even been saved in the first place. There was no root. There's no way that they could grow, and Satan had stopped it. And then we see the thorns. Verse number 14, this is where we find ourselves for just a few moments parking. And that which fell among the thorns are they, which when they heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. The thorny, if you would, are those who are, whose faith is choked out or choked by the world. It's choked by the world. The word riches here in this portion of Scripture, if you look at verse number 14, it uses the word cares, riches, and pleasures. The word riches speaks of an abundance of external possessions. Oh, we've, we've got all of the external things. We've got all of the, the things that are going to stay down here. We've got all the things, that, the, the, the bells and the whistles, the toys, and all of those things. The pleasures speaks of a desire for pleasure. Speaking of those things that uh, we desire, but it's not a desire of Christ. Jesus' teaching here is that the seed is choked off and cannot bear fruit because of misplaced priorities in our lives. How many times I've been guilty of it. I know every single one of us has been guilty of misplaced priorities at times. You know, in, 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 in the way in which we live sometimes, we are proclaiming, never forget, never forget, never forget. But the world sees that we've forgotten. The world says, wait a second, are, are, you, are, are you telling me that I need to trust in this Jesus and I need to go to church and I need to read my Bible and I need to pray and you're telling me that I should do all those things, I should never forget what Jesus did on the cross, I should never forget what he has for me, yet you're a Christian, you don't even live like that. 
You're a Christian and you, you, you live in such a, a, a faithless way. You talk about this God saving you, but then you come and you begin to gripe and you begin to complain about your circumstances and, and you almost live as though that God that you're speaking of can't even take care of those things. You see, oftentimes we allow the thorns to reveal themselves and we begin to misplace our priorities. Let me just pause for just a moment and say this, and I... I really say this with all of the love and compassion, but let me say this. If, if, if making an excuse, and by the way, an excuse is something that must, that word excuse must be understood. I'm not talking about reasonable reasons for missing the house of God. I'm not talking about reasonable reasons why you can't do something for, for, you know, in certain circumstances. But if you make the excuse that you can't do something for the Lord and you go and do something else, concerning whatever you say, oh, I can't make it to church, but then you're found doing something else that day, just go ahead and just be honest with yourself and say, it's not that you couldn't have, you just didn't want to. And don't say, hey, I can't make it to church. No, 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 say, I didn't want to go to church that day. And don't say, I'm too busy to read my Bible. No, it's not that you're too busy to read your Bible. It's that you've chosen not to make that a priority in your life. Don't say that you're too busy to pray. It's not that you're too busy to pray. It's that it's not a priority to seek the face of God. You see, oftentimes we like to say those things and we say, oh, I just, I'm just too busy to do all that. I, I'm too busy to serve the Lord. No, it's not that you're too busy. It's that you've allowed all of the external things to crowd out what Jesus wants to do in your life. You see, in our, in our lives we find oftentimes that, that people will make that excuse and say, well, it's for a good reason. There's no good reason when something takes you further from Christ. Try to talk me out of it. You say, oh, it's for a good reason. No, if you've gotten further from Christ, it ain't a good reason. You say, well, I have to have a job. Well, then pray that God would, would move you to a direction that you're not missing the house of God on Sunday mornings. You say, well, I have to provide for my family. Well, I believe that, and I support you in that, but if that job takes you missing the house of God on every single service of your life, then you're missing more. Your family's missing more. You say, well, they have food on the table, but they're missing out on this food. The bread of life. They're missing out on that. Listen, we are, we are losing a generation. We are losing young people. We are losing families. And as I said last week, we like to say everything's falling apart. Everything's not falling apart. Everything's falling into place. Listen, the Lord's return is imminent. It's coming. You know, as you think about those things, does it not bother you that you're not the Christian that you ought to be looking? Last night as I was laying my head down on my pillow and I was going through this message and I was reading this pastor's scripture and reflecting on these verses and these statements that are found, I found myself saying, Lord, I'm so far from being what you have for me to be. I'm not the Christian I ought to be. I'm not the one that God would have for me. I'm so far from being all that God would have for me to be. Why is that? Because I misplace priorities. There are times when every single one of us find ourselves saying that we couldn't do something. In reality, it's not that we couldn't, we just chose not to. You know, I'm thankful. My parents are, are nowhere perfect, I understand that. But I'm thankful that whenever the doors of the church were open, they said, we're going. I'm thankful that as a young boy, I remember sitting down on my couch and my family saying, hey, we're going to have devotions. I'm thankful for those things. I don't regret those things. I don't get mad at those things. I don't get upset that, you know, that as a child that I had to have family. No, I rejoice in those because my parents were instilling in my life that, hey, Jesus ought to have the preeminence. Jesus comes first. Everything else is second. 
I appreciate the fact that whenever my stepdad had to make some hard decisions, that he would say, hey, mama's not going to like it, but it's what God has for us. And guess what? Mama began to like it because it's what God had for us. I began, I reflect and I think back and I'm so thankful that whenever they decided to move from Columbus, Georgia, or Columbus, Indiana to Columbus, Georgia, that he said, hey, Devin and Josh are not going to like this. Devin and Josh will get over it because it's what God has for us. I got saved in Columbus, Georgia. I got called to preach in Columbus, Georgia. I met my wife in Columbus, Georgia. I found the Bible college I was supposed to in, in Columbus, Georgia. I sought counsel in Georgia and found myself seeking my, my father-in-law's advice about, about ministry and all those many things. And God surrounded me by all of that. Why? Because my stepdad said, hey, this is the will of God. Not only did he hear the word of God, but he found himself obeying the word of God. Can I ask you this question this morning? Is the, the soil thorny ground? You misplaced priorities. It's not what it ought to be. The final thing is this. It's good ground, if you would. The soil is good. Again, the seed is good. All of it's taking shape. It's what it ought to be. The statement, having heard, that you find here, when it says, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth much fruit, the statement, having heard, speaks of to perceive by ear what is announced to one's presence. The word keep here speaks of holding fast, of keeping secure, of firming up the possession. In Psalm 51.10, this ought to be a cry of ours. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. In Luke chapter number 11, verse number 28, but he said, Yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Now this morning we're not going to get any further. We'll finish this this evening briefly. But can I ask you this question? This morning you've walked in the house of God and listen. Sometimes, this is one of those messages that I don't like preaching the sense of, I don't want you to think that I'm saying you're not receiving the Word of God. The truth of the matter is, I don't know if you're receiving the Word of God. You see, the Word of God being received is a personal decision. It's a personal choice. And the only way that it can be told or be expected or seen to be lived out, I mean to be received as if it's being lived out. Are you living the word out? Are you acting upon the word? As you come to this parable right here, we're going to get in tonight that we must keep the word of God and we must live the word of God. Notice what it says in verse number 21 at the very end. Some of you might not be back tonight, so I want to get this in. Not only receive it, but keep it. And then notice what he says in verse number 21. My mother and my brethren are these which hear the word of God and do it. You know... There's a company that has made millions upon millions, if not billions of dollars, off of a slogan. That slogan is, just do it. Nike. Just do it. It was a real popular, I mean, I remember going to camps and just do it was the theme of the camp. I remember having t-shirts and just do it was all it said. And we like to, we like to talk about that. You know, one of the things, that if, and let me go ahead and say this real quick. If uh, one of my kids, if something happens to one of you or one of you fall or one of you trip or, you know, one of you gets hurt and my child walks up to you and says, suck it up, buttercup, that's not them, that's me, all right? I've told them that many times. Whenever they fall and they weren't really hurt, they were just whimpering. I said, suck it up, buttercup. I grew up on that phrase, suck it up, buttercup. Hey, there's no time to whine. Get back up and get back to it. I mean, hey, suck it up, buttercup. Listen, life is hard. I'm not saying suck it up, buttercup to that. Life is hard. There are times when it's going to be more difficult. But never give way to the devil to deceive you into thinking you don't need to receive the word. 
every single day of your life. Listen, when you hold this precious book in your hands, don't just hold it there, receive it. And keep it. And do it. Tonight we'll finish talking about those things, but let me ask you this question this morning. Where's your soil? Is it good soil? That's the aim, to have good soil. Is it thorny soil? Is it hard soil? Is it rocky soil? If you're being honest with yourself, there's not a single one of us this morning who can't say, you know what, my soul is not completely good. Because I was laying in bed last night and saying, man, got some, got some thorny soil in there. And got some hard soil right there, Lord. I don't, I, you're going to have to work on me right there. Lord, I got some rocky soil right there. You really need to break up that fallow ground some more. Because the aim ought to be it falls on good soil. And God will produce the fruit there. Lord, we do thank you. Lord, I pray that you be with us this morning. Lord, we'll continue this thought tonight and deal with this passage. Lord, we're asking you to have will and way. Lord, I pray that our soil would be so soft and tender and, Lord, prepared in such a way that the seed always falls on good ground. And, Lord, when it's received, Lord, it's obeyed. Lord, this morning I pray, I beg, I plead that we would find ourselves today saying, May God break up the fallow ground. Lord, Gateway Baptist Church might be just a little church in the, the, the south, and Lord, many don't know of this church, and that's perfectly fine. But Lord, may this church be a testimony of what it means to know Christ and do the work of Christ. And Lord, may people not hear of Gateway Baptist Church because of Gateway Baptist Church, but may people hear of Christ because of the efforts of Gateway Baptist Church, of the people who receive the Word of God, keep the Word of God, and do what the Word of God says. This morning, break up the fallow ground. Break up the hard ground. Break up the, the rocky ground. Break up the thorny ground. Help us to find ourselves saying, God, may our ground and our soil be good. Use this invitation the way you see fit. We'll thank you for it. And it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.